Hey podcast listeners, we're back with a fresh episode today with Coach Rob. We take a deep dive into nutrition, particularly fueling yourself for a three-hour or longer off-road racing event. So we break it down into pre-race, during race, and post-race nutrition. So if you're perhaps starting out with your nutrition, I'd highly recommend maybe getting a notepad um, and taking some notes here. There's a lot of knowledge in here, a lot of takeaways. The biggest thing I message I could give you guys, and we touch on this in the podcast plenty, but there is no one-size-fits-all with nutrition. Um, I can give you a framework, and that's what I give my clients. We, we give them a framework to begin with, and then it comes down to experimentation and seeing what works best for you. The biggest thing there is actually assessing. So when you have a training day, a workout, or you go for a ride on your bike, you really need to assess how did you feel? What were your energy levels like when you were riding? How did you recover? If you felt good and you were energized and you recovered well, then you're onto a winner. If you lacked energy, you faded at the end of the day and you were sore as hell the next day, there's like a, a good chance there we need to switch things up a little bit. So that that's your biggest indicator of if what you are doing is working for you. So I'm sure you'll get plenty out of this podcast. There's a ton of knowledge in here. If you've got any feedback or any questions regarding anything, don't hesitate to reach out. You can send me a DM on Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you on the other side. Cheers, guys. We're back on another episode today with Coach Rob. How you doing, man? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me back on. Oh, it's my pleasure, mate. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one, actually. It's a topic, I guess, it's probably actually... Looking back, it's an area that kind of kicked me off into doing what I'm doing now, I suppose, like over probably like 10 years ago now when we were trying to get pregnant with Darcy and we we couldn't. And that's when I kind of discovered I was pretty unhealthy when I got when got my blood work done and that started me off down the, the path of nutrition. So that's very um, cool. I've had a lot of... I guess, experience benefits myself by improving my nutrition. It's definitely one area that I get a ton of questions around, whether it's from my clients or just people um, that are looking to improve themselves. That's one of the first things that always comes up is what should I eat? How much should I eat? Sure enough. Yep, absolutely. No, I'm excited about it. I saw the post on Instagram and um, I didn't get a chance to look at all the questions. I'd, I'd seen it earlier in the week and um, I'm really excited about it. I know there's a lot of confusion, and hopefully after uh, today's podcast, we can kind of clarify some of those mysteries, if you will. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I thought we'd kind of break it down into sort of pre, pre if, we, if we're talking about fueling, I guess, for a, a three-hour or an off-road event, if we break it down into pre-race sort of during or the day of the race and during the race and then post-race. Yes, um, so. that'd be good. Yeah, I think that's and I do want to encourage all the listeners, uh, you know, please grab a piece of paper because there's going to be some formulas. You know, I'm not into the 0.9 divided by multiply divided by multiply it, you know, but we are going to talk a little bit about, you know, some timelines on how some of the nutrition works based on the questions and we'll, we'll kind of base it from there. So just have some paper handy and, and be able to write some notes down for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I thought that's like... 
if we're talking about pre-race, I suppose for the purpose of this podcast, we're kind of, I guess, um, thinking that everyone's already got their, their nutrition sort of locked down. Um, obviously, when we're talking about pre-race, it's, it's most definitely important what we do in the few days leading up, but we know that it's more about long-term. You can't just sort of switch things up the, a few days before a race and expect to get good results on race day. So do you want to maybe, like I know we don't want to go too deep on this, but maybe just quickly give a brief outline of what uh, like quality nutrition looks like on a day-to-day basis in terms of our balance of macros and, and bridging our, cal- our calorie burn. Absolutely. And, and to any of the new listeners, I don't want them to think I'm being sarcastic or condescending, but nutrition is this difficult. Walk into the grocery store, shop the perimeter, get your beer and get out. <laughs> it's just that simple. Um, because like you said, Ben, when you start getting into how many grams of this, how many macros of that, what percentage of this, what percentage of that. We just want to encourage the listeners, don't make it any more difficult than it needs to be. If you're focusing on fruits and vegetables and lean protein for your primary fuel sources, you really have the right combination. And I even go so far to keep it simple. Every time you open your mouth, just have a fruit, a vegetable, and a piece of meat. Now, I understand that's not always possible, but it's always a really, really simple you know, should I have more protein or less carbs? Should I have more carbs or less protein? And I always say, you know, if you're looking at carbs coming from, excuse me, if you're looking at fruits, vegetables, and lean protein, just make sure you have one of each. And I think you won't ever have a problem. At the sake of that, uh, sounding sarcastic, if you're hungry, you need to eat more. That's just that simple. So if you know what you ate for breakfast and you're hungry within that two hour window, you need to bump up what you ate. You and I talked about this in our podcast when we were in Australia together. Always think about the QQ, the quality, and then the quantity. Well, if you're eating fruits and vegetables and lean protein, quality takes care of itself. Yeah. And then when you look at the quantity, I always use it. Uh, the uh, the litmus test is if you're hungry, simply eat more. And a two-hour window is is kind of your rule of thumb, just to keep it simple. The minute you wake up in the morning, eat breakfast. And then the clock starts every two hours, be snacking or having a square meal all the way to when you go to bed. Yeah. That would be my 10,000 view on keeping nutrition simple for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Could, would just playing devil's advocate there a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it, it, that's one area. I guess one thing, some people when they're hyper busy or they're, they're on their feet all day, they're flat out, then that quite often comes up is that I don't actually get hungry. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like that, that two, I, I totally agree with that, that two hour thing for sure. But I've, I've had people come back to me and say, Oh, well, I'm not, I don't get hungry. Um, so in, in those instances, like obviously if you are getting hungry, we need to eat more for sure without a doubt. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes too, people, can be actually under eating if they're just relying on their hunger. I totally agree. And I apologize if I was mis, uh, if I misled you there, I want you to eat every two hours. Yeah. And the idea is to never become hungry. I yeah. should have elaborated on that. Thank you for clarifying it. The goal is to eat before you become hungry, 
because like just like hydration if you wait until you're thirsty you're already dehydrated if you wait until you you become hungry you have such a low glycemic index you know your 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 insulin levels are low blood sugar is low that's when you tend to be a little bit more of a carbohydrate fanatic because usually carbs come in boxes bags and cans so then we go into the default of convenience so no i agree with you 100 percent. and if i may add just one thought to what you just mentioned there's three things that suppress appetite heat intensity stress yeah so if you're in a highly stressful environment you're probably not going to have much of an appetite if you're in a hot humid environment it's going to suppress appetite what we want to encourage the listeners is set your watch on your phone, set your clock on your phone. So every two hours you're eating, so you never become hungry. And to clarify what I said, if you get hungry before that two hour window, you need to simply bump up the volume of food, but you're exactly right. I want the listeners to have confidence. Don't ever let yourself become hungry. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to gain weight. No, I promise you won't. Because if you wait until you're hungry, we call it becoming hangry. You're so hungry, you're angry. Well, then that's when you're a Tasmanian devil to everything that's in a box, a bag, or a, a can. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So thank you for allowing me to clarify that. And I apologize if I was remiss there. But yeah, you're exactly right. You want to eat before you're hungry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, like you just said, it's when, if we're in a, having, even just having a stressful day at work and we're go, 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 you can, like you just said, that the, the when cortisol is elevated, it can actually suppress our appetite, which is gives us that, I guess, false sense that we're not actually hungry. <laughs> when, when, right. when in actual reality, we need to eat more on those types of days. Well, I was, uh, I was talking to some clients yesterday. Um, they went out, you know, those big KTM adventure bikes. Yep. So there was a group of five guys. They're all X racers. So what they did was they said, we're going to try to go 500 miles in less than five hours every day for a week. Yeah. Okay. Now they were on back roads where there wasn't a lot of traffic, good visibility, so they could really get after it. The reason why I bring it up in the context of your example right there was when your brain is processing that high intensity speed, if you're at work and you're doing something very meticulous that requires your mental focus, your brain is draining your liver at a speed that you don't even realize. And for the context of what we were just talking about, my client was amazed because out of five days, he lost almost four kilos and all he did was eat. In his words, drank a lot of alcohol and slept a lot every night. Yeah. And yet without working out, but what he did do was he ate good food and he got plenty of sleep. Yeah. So like you said, when you're under a lot of stress, you know, you're processing those high rates of speed. It, it devours calories. Think about when we were kids, you mm-hmm. come home from school. It wasn't like we were in gym class running for six, seven, eight hours a day. We're using our brain. And by the time we get home, we run to the pantry and we tear up every box that we can get a hold of every bag of chips, boxes, cans, boxes of cereal, whatever it was, but it wasn't because we were working out for nine hours a day. Yeah. You bring up a really good point, especially when we get into the subject of what to do on race day. Mm. Feeding your brain's ability to process speed is something that people miss all the time, all the yeah. time. Yeah. So if we're still sort of in the in the pre-race window, this is a big myth. I'll 
I shouldn't use the word myth, but I guess a point, <laughs> I know where you're going now, buddy. <laughs> a point of contention, and I, I've I've heard your your take on it, which I'm I'm stoked to be able to let you share today because it's the carb loading thing. There's there's two sides. Like people, there's people out there think you have to eat your body weight in in pasta for three days <laughs> before <laughs> before a race. Um, so let's. Let's get into that a little bit. Carb loading, is it fact or fiction? Yeah, it's, it's complete bullshit. Um, <laughs> and, and here's the, I'm going to give you the exact reason why it's bullshit, and then we'll reverse engineer it so that people have under, an understanding because I don't want them to think I'm being mean. If you have a piece of paper, write this down. For your body to store one gram of glycogen, glycogen is nothing more than a fancy word for stored sugar. When your body takes something you eat, let's take an apple and it converts it to stored glycogen. For every one gram of glycogen that your body retains, part of the conversion of an apple to stored glycogen is your body will store 2.8 grams of water for every one gram of carbohydrate that you convert to sugar, glycogen. So I want the listeners to think about why I'm not an advocate of carbo-loading. If I go down to your gym, you've got a big, beautiful gym, and I take a five pound, or excuse me, I take a five kilo weight and I strap it to my butt cheeks. That's essentially what I'm doing when I jump on the motorcycle after I'm all carbo loaded up because what you've done, the theory behind carbo loading is to, is to top off glycogen reserves. I get that. Yeah. The idea of carbo loading is it prehydrates the body. I get that. But you don't want to go and just like you say, eat your body weight in pasta. Now all you've done is you've put all this body weight on in the form of water. Take, go take a five kilo dumbbell, strap it on your butt cheeks, and then go sit on your motorcycle and, and, and ask, tell me rather, how does that change the balance of your motorcycle? It's going to change your spring setting. It's going to change your sag. It's going to change where you move on the bike. It's going to change the dead center of the bike. And then I want you to go ripping into a corner at 40, 50 K and wonder why you can't get your timing in the bike position. Correct. Now, as absurd as an example, that is, if you wouldn't want me to strap a five kilo dumbbell to your buttocks, then don't go carbo loading because it does the exact same thing. Now <clears throat> I just mentioned to you, excuse me, the concept behind carbo loading is top off your, your stored sugar, your glycogen levels. Well, if you eat fruits and vegetables like we talked about for breakfast, lunch, dinner, your snacks, they're already high in both electrolytes and water content. So by just snacking, you prehydrate the body without gorging the body. Like you said, eating your body weight in pasta, not a good idea. The other side of the equation is, well, what about prehydrating? Well, if you do this, if this is a way of eating every single day, your body doesn't know if it's race day Saturday it doesn't know if it's Tuesday a month ahead of the race. It's all about habituable practices. Yeah. I love watching you on social media. You know how much I love to watch you ride. The thing is, is when you go out and you have a killer ride day on Wednesday and you and I are talking and you're like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm on fire. You know, I'm hitting my marks. I'm fast. My top end speed is good. My average speed is good. Well, that's on a Wednesday afternoon. What was it that you and I spoke about? What did you eat for dinner the night before? 
what did you eat for breakfast? And what did you have for a snack 10, 20 minutes before you got on the bike? Because it's Wednesday afternoon and you're calling me and you're like, man, I, I feel so good about today's riding session. Well, it's Wednesday. Does your body know that it's now race day two weeks later? No, it sure doesn't. What it wants is consistent behavior. Yeah. And this is why carbo loading doesn't work. We have to go back to everyday eating habits. And you, you even started today's podcast with the assumption that you're already snacking on fruits, vegetables, and lean protein. So you're prehydrating, you're getting the necessary electrolytes, you're getting tons of vitamins and minerals, which are catalysts for energy. You've got everything you need. That's why I want people to go back to the beginning of the podcast. How difficult is nutrition? Walk into the grocery store, shop the perimeter, get your beer and go out. That's it. It's that easy. How often should I eat? Every two hours, never letting yourself get hungry. What should I eat? A fruit, a vegetable, and a protein, always. Now, again, am I going to tell you that today, when I, um, when I had my snack, snack today, I did some Greek yogurt with some uh, blackberries and blueberries with some honey. Was there a vegetable there? No. But for the most part, there'll always be one. Again, I don't live in a glass house. Why should you? And we don't want the listeners to feel that way either, ever. That's not what we're trying to convey here. So that's why I don't like carbo loading. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It makes complete sense. So like, because the, the body can only store so much glycogen, right? So once that's full, it's like a fuel tank on your bike, right? Like once you fill it to the brim, you stop, you go put another another 20 litre of fuel in. It's You can't use it. It just runs out on the ground. Like So that's right. like you just said, if, if we're... If we're training consistently and eating and got our nutrition dialed, we should be topping off our glycogen on a day-to-day basis. So there's not really any need to go nuts with a crazy amount of carbs a day before a race. No, you're going to actually, excuse me, you're going to actually be counterproductive because if you're looking at the consistency of your riding and you reverse engineer it, you go back and you look at what you eat, how much and when, you look at your sleep, quality, and quantity. And when you went to bed on Tuesday night, I get this question all the time. Um, should I refrain from having beer the night before the race? Now, you see, I've got a lot of books over here. I could go grab one of those textbooks and it'll say, alcohol the night before a race is not advisable. Okay. Well, you went out with your, your mates on Tuesday night, had a couple good beers. You had a couple good high quality craft beers. You had some dinner. You went home, you're amorous with your wife or your partner, and then you rode really well on Wednesday. And yet people are like, well, I'm not going to have sex and I'm not going to drink beer the night before. Why? You just validated that it works over here. Your body doesn't know if it's Wednesday or if it's Sunday. What it's looking for is consistency. So Coach Rob's on the record with Ben Greenwood's podcast, have sex and beer every night and you'll perform extremely well on race day. How's that? Is that, is that going to blow your podcast up or is it going to get everybody to hate us? It sounds like a good race day plan to me. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's, it should be part of every day. If you want to call it race day, then every day's race day. How's that? And if you, want to, if you want to tell your partners that Coach Rob's the one to blame, give him my number. I'll be happy to explain why it, it's advantageous. But no, seriously, it's the more that you can familiarize your body on what you do during the week, the easier racing becomes because – there isn't a, a top elite rider, Todd Waters. I apologize. I can't remember the name of your buddy that's on the West Coast that's really good in the off-road scene. 
what's that gentleman's name? Um, from WA, Sean. Yeah. Yes, Sean. Thank you. I guarantee you, Sean has a routine. Todd Waters has a routine. The idea is you need to find out, and I'm saying you, you, the listener, you need to figure out what works for you. Don't worry about what these textbooks say. That's a starting point. They're just giving you the framework, but it's not an exact science in any book. Test it and try it. I was talking to a client today. He can, if he, if he consumes whole milk, he has no gastrointestinal issues. If he has a cup of yogurt, he has extreme GI distress. Somebody said that you're lactose intolerant. How can that be? He drinks milk, has no problems, but he eats yogurt and he has problems. So what I said to him today is sensitive to yogurt, but you're not lactose intolerant. And I hope that makes sense. The books can sit here and tell you that you're lactose intolerant based on a generic exam, explanation. Test, try, validate, test, try, validate, build your portfolio of food options and take it to race day. Just treat it the same every day. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that's like, we're not saying never eat pasta or anything like that either. Like it's just, if you're, if you've got that foundation of, of your, I guess, carbohydrate source in fruit and vegetables and you're having a bowl of pasta or a bowl of rice, and we can get into that a little bit later with timing when's the best time to have them. Um, it's, it's completely fine. Absolutely. It's the, the problem that we run into is people need to embrace, not run from, but they need to embrace a little bit of documentation. You know, um, I don't, I don't get a kickback on this. It's just a resource that I use. I'm a big advocate of the Garmin uh, heart rate monitor in the dashboard. And I use what's called my fitness pal. It's an app that you can download for free. And Garmin is at a position where it literally We'll take your input from your My Fitness Pal. It'll import it directly into your Garmin dashboard, and you can look at your calorie burn rate in each activity and compare it against what you brought in. And so, people listening to this go, "I don't have time for that." Well, when you're sitting on the the toilet, instead of going to Snapchat or some social media site, just update your food log for 90 seconds. I promise you that when you roll into race day and you've spent hours and time driving to the race prepping your bike, training, you're going to want to know how many calories you need to be consuming to be ready on race day. Like you said at the beginning of today's podcast, nutrition is a very mystifying environment for people. And I don't think it needs to be. There's enough resources now that if you'll just literally put in my fitness pal, breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, whatever it is, and it automatically syncs to your dashboard, you've got all the information at your fingertips. Now it's our job as physiologists to help interpret that. And, and you and I love to do that. But if you don't put the data in, it's impossible for us to say, here's what you should eat before, during, and after a race. And I hope that doesn't offend people that the resources are very easy to use nowadays. 100%. Yeah. It, uh, like you say, it, I think it makes it pretty, pretty easy when you, when you take a little time to, to just to document, like you said, it, it pretty, it pretty well straight away, very quickly you, you begin to realize whether you're in the ballpark or not. That's right. And when that, when that calorie gap is there consistently, then we start getting into subjects that you and I've discussed, chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, excessive stress, 
you run that motorcycle low on fluid, we wouldn't go, oh, bike's running ideal. Yeah, it's stressed. It's overheating. Hey, we're running the oil low. Well, bike's not running optimal. It's running under strain. Oh, wait, the hour meter only has three hours on it. Yeah, but the system has been excessively stressed. So you've prematurely aged your race bike by not keeping it properly hydrated, radiator, good oil in your engine is the same way with your body. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to me, but I know some people say I'm jaded because it's what we do for a living, but I'm only here to try to help. But if you don't document, I can't help you. And, yeah. and I know you feel the same way. Yeah. So just like on that carb thing, because I've heard you mention it, well, I know you've mentioned it in one of our previous podcasts, but the, like the easiest way to tell for someone if, if they're not getting enough carbs or eating enough carbs, if they're, they go to hit a high intensity workout, maybe some intervals or a hard strength workout, or even a, an effort on the bike, if they're feeling flat or they're lacking energy and they can't, haven't got that top end, that's kind of a red flag there that perhaps they could play around with increasing their carb intake. Is that right? 100%. And what you want to do for the people that may be new to the, to the me being on your show, take a straight, draw a straight line on a piece of paper. And on the far right, I want you to put 100% effort. And on the other side, put 0% effort. It's an exaggeration. Underneath 100%, write the word sugar. And under zero, write the word fat. And this is what we refer to as the energy matrix. So I want you to think about your, for those that still have carburetors, I want you to think about the slide on your carburetor. As you bring the RPMs up and that slide goes up, more air fuel mixtures going in. So you're burning more fuel. What I want people to think about when it comes to a human being is where are you getting your calories from? Stored fat or stored sugar? Now, for those that have a little bit of a nutritional background, protein's only going to equate to about 15% of your total calories, so we don't even talk about it. It's the other 85% we're looking at. So as you bring the heart rate up, this is where it's going to definitively answer your question. If you're out there trying to get those high-intensity intervals or you're trying to really drop the hammer on the motorcycle, watch your heart rate numbers as they go up. Your tapping into more and more stored sugar, which means you drain your storages that much quicker. Your brain gets fed from the gas tank known as your liver and your actions get, your movement gets fueled by the sugar in your muscles. So the more you bring the heart rate up, the more sugar you burn. And you, we all know this intuitively, the faster you ride, the quicker you drain your gas tank. Well, the human body is 100% the same way. So think about it. When you're trying to go at race pace or you're trying to go high levels of output, what is your fuel source? Sugar. How much do I have stored? The average person has about 60 to 80 minutes of stored sugar. Well, if you're out there trying to do a three-hour race or a high-quality ride session and you don't refuel the gas tank, your top-end speed is 100% going to suffer and you're going to be putting more and more effort and actually draining the gas tank. Remember back, and this is going to show my age here, remember when we had reserves on motorcycles? Yeah, yeah we don't have reserves on the human body. When gas tank hits empty, we're done. We're, um, yeah. And I just found out recently that you guys have a different verbiage of what bonking is. But in the <laughs> state, um, when you bonk, that's a word for saying your blood sugar levels have gone to zero. So I was uh, kind of pulled aside and educated that you guys have a different uh, explanation for that so hopefully people won't take it i think it has a double meaning in australia (laughs) okay (laughs) so i hope the listener doesn't think i'm trying to be like a little crazy here but you know (laughs) 
once that once that human gas tank hits zero, you know, there's especially at the high levels of intensity. Once that gas tank is on empty, you got to be bringing it in from an outside source. So we don't want that. And that's why you can always tell if you're suffering on your high quality days, then you definitely need to be bumping up your carb intake. Now, if I may, just for just 30 seconds, where a lot of the listeners start to get paranoid is they're like, oh, I'm gaining weight when I eat carbs. Look at the note that you just wrote down. If I eat carbohydrates, my body stores 2.8 grams of water. So if your scale goes up, that tells you that you're storing water. I, I can't emphasize that enough, particularly for the female listeners. If, you're, if your scale went up one kilo, did you really eat a surplus of over five to 7,000 calories last night? Because if you do the math backwards, to put on a kilo or two kilos on the scale, if you want to play the calorie game, that would tell me that you would have to have eaten a surplus of calories the day before. Well, I can't even get you to eat 3,000 calories. You're telling me you ate 7,000 too many? But you're going to come back and tell me, but Rob, the scale says this. The scale says I'm two kilos heavier. It's water weight. Every gram of carbohydrates, your body retains 2.8 grams of water. This is why South Beach, Zone, Atkins, all these eating systems, this is exactly why they will guarantee that you will lose body weight when you start their program. Well, you already know the science behind it. If I don't let you eat carbohydrates, guess what you're going to lose? Water. What don't you replenish? Water. So you get on the scale and you're like, yay, I'm down two kilos. No, you're dehydrated. I could park you in a car in a parking lot and you're going to be dehydrated. And if you want to pay me 50 grand, because that's what those programs are going to eventually cost you with all your medical bills after you fry your system. Okay, just mail me the 50K and I'll, I'll put you in a parking lot and I'll go ahead and dehydrate you. And then we'll say, yay, look at the scale. No, in all seriousness, don't jeopardize your health with these. You know, if it seems too good to be true when they say guaranteed loss of body weight, you know, five kilos in the first week, that's bullshit. That's dehydration. And now if you look at your notes on your paper, if one gram of carbohydrates converted to glycogen causes a 2.8 gram of water retention, that's why your scale is going up because you're getting properly hydrated. And that's a good thing, especially when you're getting ready to go do a three hour plus event. Yeah, for sure. Very important. So I think like just what you touched on there, again, it comes back to tracking things a little bit. Um, like, like you said, like if you're lacking a bit of top end intensity in your workout, it comes back to actually assessing yourself when you do a workout and having some sort of record of, of your performance and your output, you know what I mean? Instead of just grinding through a workout and yes. thinking, oh, shit, that was hard. It was a tough workout and, and throwing it, but putting it behind you as if, if you're not performing, then there's got to be a reason why. So if you're actually tracking your results and your output, you'll very quickly be able to see when, when you are perhaps lacking. So then you can address maybe try some more carbs or whatever it might be to, to rectify that. 100%. And you can take it one step further. If you're wearing a heart rate monitor, and let's say, Ben, you're, you're working with me and you're like, all right, Rob, we need some anaerobic threshold intervals today. And I say to you, Ben, I have nothing else left. And you go, well, let's look at the average heart rate. If you've seen me hit, I'm going to use a very loose number. Excuse me. If you've seen me hit 190 on the heart rate, and I'm saying to you, Ben, I have nothing left. I'm about to regurgitate right now. I'm going so hard. And you download the data and my max heart rate is 163. 
well, if I'm putting the effort in, but I can't get to that level of output, what's the gap? Fuel, 100% across the board every time. Yeah. If we want to put it in the terms of a dirt bike, if I want, if I want you to go, let's say 50 kilometers an hour, and I give you a, I give you a 65 Yamaha, and I give you a YZ450F, and I want to hit the same 50 kilometers an hour. Well, the 450 can hit it with very little effort. Why? It's got a big strength. It's got a big bore. That's your strength base. It's got a big carburetor. I know they don't, but go with me for visual purposes. Big carburetor. That's your aerobic engine. Well, if I go to a small little 65 bore with a little carburetor, I can maybe get to 50 kilometers an hour, but that thing is just, you're pinning the ears back on that dog. Yeah. All right. So do you want to be able to go 450 power and get there easily? Well, you better have strength and aerobic engine and you better be able to feed it. Yeah. The full consumption of a 450 is going to be much higher than a 65. I may be wrong in an engineering standpoint, but symbolically speaking, the bigger the bore, the more fuel you burn. Well, you're going to have to fuel that. So this is one of those, as you become fitter, you have to become more responsible. Yeah. As you become faster, you have to be more accountable. Because if you don't fuel the engine, you will constantly struggle in those upper levels of output and or in your type of racing, that last hour to last 90 minutes. That's where the race gets real. And that's sure. not where you want to be running out of energy for sure. Exactly, yeah. So that's probably a good time to get into, into race day. We probably nailed the, the pre-race nutrition there, I reckon, pretty well. Cool. And <laughs> so, if anyone has questions, you know, as always, please email us, please. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll, we'll probably have plenty more after this one, but... Yeah. Um, let's start at breakfast, like race day breakfast again. Again, this is probably another. I think anyway, a, a, another one of those myth things again that sort of comes back to the carb loading thing is everyone says just pile in a, a ton of carbs for breakfast before the race. Which again, we definitely want to be getting some carbs in there. But what we know is when we have, as an example, a bowl of cereal for breakfast that is high in carbs, we're going to get a big spike of energy and we're going to get perhaps get a crash afterwards. So what, what should breakfast look like and how much should we be aiming to sort of get in? I hope you don't find this as cynical or sarcastic at all. But I want to go back to the example of what did you eat on Wednesday when you called me and you were absolutely flying on your home track? I want to know what you ate for dinner the night before, and I want to know what you ate for breakfast that morning. I, I want to know exactly how many of each and everything that was on the plate. Why? Because your body doesn't know it's race day Sunday versus if it was Wednesday morning before you went out. But you called me, and you're excited because you crushed it. So this is where it goes back to, like you said, document what you've eaten. Because without sounding at all ridiculous, my phone will ring off the hook when an athlete has a crappy race. When things go wrong, everybody wants to analyze what are we doing wrong. But what happens on Wednesday when you slate it, nobody stops and thinks to themselves, what did I drink? What did I eat? How much and when? Well, you called me excited. I didn't call you. What do you have written down? What's in your MyFitnessPal on your phone? Because when you're asking me what to eat on race day, let's go back to last Wednesday when you killed it. And, and I don't want that to sound condescending at all. Literally, if you tested three eggs, Ezekiel bread, avocado, extra virgin olive oil, sea salt, and a pint of strawberries, 
and it worked, you know what you need to eat on race day. Because when you put that helmet on, we're into that real volatile word called confidence. When you put that helmet on your head, I want you to know what you ate, how much, and when you've already tested it. You have confidence that you know you can go the first hour and, and slay it. And we know starting at the second hour, you're going to need to start hitting calories. And we've tested it. And we get to the third hour and we've tested it. But I, I, it's a very simple answer. Go back to what you've proven through documentation works. Because I could say to you, you know what I do, Ben? I do 25 pancakes. I, I drink a gallon. I drink a liter of syrup. And then I have some fruit punch. And then I go out and I beat you. Well, now all of a sudden everybody thinks that Rob's is the magic formula. No, that's what works for me, which by the way, it doesn't. I'm being totally sarcastic. Nobody try that, please. Okay. So the point is when you go back to the beginning of tonight's podcast or this morning's podcast, what is it that you're doing? You're eating a fruit, a vegetable, and a source of protein, breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, all the way through. You eat it, you go and you exercise, you go and you train, you go and you ride. How did you feel? All of us have to have thick skin to go either it worked or it didn't work. And if it didn't work, they need to be consulting with someone like yourself. And you go, oh, that's a nice sales pitch. Let's stroke each other's ego. That's so nice. No, 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 no. Most of us get so close to it that we lose our rational thinking and we, we start to bring in variables that are of no common sense. So I always love it when my clients will call or even people that aren't paying clients that call, hey, I'll be a sounding board for you. If you did it on Wednesday morning and it worked that morning when you rode, then you should do the exact same thing on Sunday. Now there's only one, I guess there's a, there's a bank of variables I want the listeners to think about. When you go out and you train, your food for breakfast needs to be bounced again, similar intensities, similar conditions, i.e. what is the temperature? What is the humidity? What's the intensity you're going to go out there for? Because yeah. not all of us have the luxury to go out and train for three to four hours on a Wednesday. We have families, we have jobs, we have other obligations. I get that. But you can't go out and ride your motorcycle at 135 heart rate in training and say that what you ate is going to be the same thing that works when your heart rate's at 185. You've got to match that. And I know that sounds like a lot of information, but it's really not. You need to match the intensity against the temperature and the humidity in the same conditions that you're going to try to race in to the best of your ability. Yeah. You know, that, that's something that I, I see people make a big mistake is they try to eat the same thing, whether they're doing a, a short race, a sprint, or they're doing a three hour plus race. You remember that inverse relationship for the new listeners. There's an inverse relationship between intensity and food complexity. Yeah. If you're going to go out and do some short sprint races, you probably should go with something that's easily convertible to energy. And we could talk about the timing of that here in a little bit, but yeah, that's another place that people are like, Oh, this is the, this is what I get a lot. Well, I always get sick to my stomach on race day. Well, yeah, that's because you tried to eat a filet mignon steak and two baked potatoes 30 minutes before your race. So your heart rate goes from 85 to 185. Now the body's got to make an executive decision, break down food or try not to die of a heat stroke. So it shuts down digestion. And next thing you know, you're nauseous and you're vomiting in your helmet or you're pooping in your pants. Yeah. Well, the body's going to get rid of what it doesn't like. And it's either going to vomit it or it's going to poop it 
all because you ate the wrong thing and bounced it against the wrong intensity. Inverse relationship. If you have a piece of paper, draw an up arrow and next to it, draw a down arrow. If the intensity is up, food complexity has to be down. This is where you see the proliferation of the energy gels, sports drinks, and that kind of stuff. So really important people understand that. What to eat on race day? Same thing you've eaten every day. Yeah, yeah. And you raise a good point there too, and that was probably going to be the next little thing is is the timing. Um, because that can vary greatly, I suppose, like some events we're going to go to and we might have to be on the gate at 8am. So we've got a shorter window there of digestion and we obviously need to be mindful of that. Whereas if the race might not say it's a, a GNCC or a three hour that in your in seniors, the event might not start till 12 or one o'clock. So you, in that, in that instance, you've actually got time to maybe have a, have a breakfast and then have a, have a lunch or a, or a snack before the race. So um, talk about that a little bit um, because I, I think that, that like you say, like I've got a couple of clients that do have, that have, piece of salmon, vegetables and, and potatoes for breakfast because I know that works for them. Um, but like you just said, you're not going to have that if you've got, you've got to be on the start line in an hour and, and start macking out sprints or, or whatever it's going to be. So, Absolutely. Yeah, the, and I'm not going to get a lot of Christmas cards over this suggestion, but it's just physiological truth. You need a, the magic number is two hours. So if your race is at 8 a.m., you got to get yourself up at 5.30 and you need to be finished eating by eight, excuse me, by six o'clock. And what that does is that gives the body time to digest, purge, and assimilate the calories that it's going to need to go about your morning's race. So two hours, like for example, we just had Loretta's eight weeks ago. And if you have an 8 a.m. moto and you haven't practiced, you know, getting yourself up early, which I know is a bite in the butt, but you got to get yourself up early because I always say to the young kids this way, you want to whine and complain that you don't want to get up two hours early. Well, that's like your mechanic saying he just doesn't want to put fuel in your bike because he just doesn't feel like doing it. <laughs> and he's going to roll your bike to the starting gate and there's no fuel in it. And you're like all pissed off because you can't finish the moto. Well, what do you expect of your human body? And this is where we're at a little bit of a disadvantage as humans because our body will continue to sacrifice until it can't any longer. So if, if you go to the starting gate with no energy, you know, no stored sugar in your body, your body will eat some muscle for fuel and it will cannibalize a few things here. But you know how it is when you've, when you've hit that low energy level, it's not like you have a light switch and your body turns off and you fall off your dirt bike. Your body just, oh, you start to cramp, you sit down a lot more, your elbows drop, all the biomechanics fall apart. Well, that's just you crumbling on the bike but it's not like when a motorcycle runs out of gas and tips over. And that's what's dangerous for us because if we literally got to a point where when we got to a certain level of stored sugar and we stopped moving, there's not a person listening that wouldn't take nutrition serious. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this out of it. I'm not trying to be, take this lightly at all. But if you have a family member that's a diabetic and they're on an insulin pump, you know how important insulin and blood sugar spikes really are. Mm. But yet when we, you and I have a pancreas that produces insulin the way it's supposed to, we'll eat something that'll jack our blood sugar through the roof and we don't care. Insulin comes in and does its job and keeps us balanced. But talk to somebody who's on an insulin pump, that's life or death situation. Yeah. 
And as a human performance specialist, sometimes I wish it was a little bit more absolute for us because people, if you look at the extreme of CrossFit or keto or all these asinine programs that are out there, the body will adapt. That's why I did a podcast called Surviving Not Thriving. I always want my clients to be in a moment, or excuse me, in an environment of thriving and getting healthier and faster. If you want to strip a bunch of food out of somebody's diet and call it a eating platform, even though you're stealing you know, nutrients for their body, the body will continue to adapt without those nutrients until it can't anymore. And we're the only species that can do that. Think about it. If you and I go in the kitchen and we want to make a cake and we don't have two of the seven ingredients, we're not going to make a cake. But if our body doesn't have what it needs to make energy, it will steal and borrow and and it'll conform to create energy until it just no longer can. And unfortunately, it's at the cost of our health. Adrenal fatigue, Epstein-Barr, all these other things, pushing the body beyond what it can go through. So yeah, I I think that's really, really important that people understand if you've got the idea of a two-hour window, never said it was going to be inconvenient, or excuse me, wasn't going to be inconvenient, but think about the time and the resources you've put into training and driving to the races and the bike that you own and the gear and the fuel. Come on. You can't get your butt up out of bed two hours earlier to get done what needs to be done to perform at an optimal level. Not, and when I say optimal, I'm not saying you want to win the race like Todd or, or like your buddy, you know, I'm just saying, go out and have fun. You know, your when your blood sugars topped off, your risk of injury goes down, not up, goes down. And it's, it's, it's not enjoyable flapping off the bike like a wet tea towel for the last hour of a race. (laughs) No, No, thank you. That is just absolutely miserable all because you don't want to get up two hours in advance. Now, in all fairness, the people that are listening to your podcast probably are going, we can move on because I wouldn't be listening if I wasn't willing to get up two hours early. I get it. But when you've got a youngster, you know, I I know that you've got a lot of listeners who they have little nippers that are getting into it. We want them to understand it because you and I didn't have the luxury of this information when we were nine and 10 years old. Yeah. You know, I started riding when I was nine years old. You know, you just want to get in your dirt bike and ride. You didn't, you didn't know how fuel worked. You didn't know how spark plugs work. You just, you kicked it and it cranked up and you were happy as all get out, you know? So I just want those people that are listening that be able to share that with their young ones so that they don't end up crashing and burning and having a horrible day at the racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. So if we say like two hours before the event, like bare minimum, we need to have our brekkie in. Yep. Um, and obviously it's got to be something that you've tested in training and, and you know works for you. Um, what, are, what about for the guys that perhaps the race is at 12 o'clock, they have their brekkie at seven or eight. Um, what should they be looking at getting in, say, as a, a bit of a snack? Um, is it still that two-hour time frame to the race if it's something a bit more simple or what should that sort of look like, do you think? Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's the two-hour window. And if you look at what we've talked about in today's podcast, Breakfast, clock starts. You eat every two hours. Oh, wait, I've got a race that's going to go off at noon. All right, do your math backwards. You're going to eat at 10, and you're going to eat again at 8 o'clock. So brekkie is at 8. Yeah. I don't care if you have another breakfast at 10. You could go and move into lunch. Like you said, you've already tested, and you know what that portfolio of options looks like. So you're eating at 8, you're eating at 10, and we'll talk about it here in a minute. I want you to kind of snack on a sports drink for that last 30 minutes. We'll talk about that in a second. But if we're just talking about the square meals and the timing of those, this is where I want people to understand that habit of two hours. 
It's not by accident that I said that at the beginning of the podcast, because what it does is when you eat every two hours, if you want to get highly technical, your blood sugar behind the scenes is more stable. Now, there'll be somebody that's a, a listener that will email me and say, you're an idiot, Rob, because when you eat, you get an insulin spike. Well, you're right, but it depends on what you're eating. Well, what do you advocate you eat? Fruits, vegetables. What are those? Low glycemic snacks. Now, I don't want to get into glycemic index because I don't want to bore the listeners with it, but when somebody wants to poke a hole and they go, oh, see, Rob doesn't know what he's talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. We didn't tell them to go eat a bowl of cereal with skim milk. That would cause an insulin spike. What we're asking is raw fruit, raw vegetables, and pieces of protein. Those are all low glycemic items. So your glycemic index is going to be nominal. The insulin spike will be minimal what your energy levels are, are consistent. How do we measure it? Mental clarity, energy levels, and performance. Are your lap times consistent? If so, you probably have stabilized blood sugar. You're so excited, Rob, this is awesome, I'm flying. Great, what did you eat? How much and when? So we go back to that race day. You can have breakfast at 8 a.m. You can do brekkie again at 10 a.m. If you wanna move on to what you normally eat, you could. Do, you know, I wouldn't recommend like a heavy salad or something with a ton of roughage, but you know, you could do a um, high quality deli sandwich just because your body's got two hours to digest, purge, and assimilate your window of time. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but when we say purge, let's go to the bathroom. So that opens up your bowels so you don't get that bound up feeling and you start getting that lower abdominal cramping. These are things that I've heard people describe. That's why I want to bring them up on your show. I'm not trying to embarrass people talking about bowel movements and everything else, but if you struggle with lower abdominal cramping, it could be because you haven't had a bowel movement before you went to the starting line. Mm-hmm. And that just causes a lot of internal pressure, gas starts to form and all that. So yeah, I, it goes back to what you eat Monday through Friday needs to be what you eat Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, I would agree. I, I honestly believe that's in a lot of cases why people say, oh, on race day, I get I'm, I get bloated or I get gas. And you're like, oh, well, what did you eat? And you're like, oh, well, I tried this because someone said I needed to load up on carbs or whatever it is, but it's something that they've never eaten before or they don't yeah. generally eat as a rule. So, of course, it's it's probably going to cause issues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a, it, Like you say, it's such a simple rule of thumb, but... If, if you're eating, what you're eating on a regular daily basis is fueling you properly and you're performing well on that, then there's no need to really change it. I guess is like- well, think about it. If you've got it in my fitness pal and you know what you've eaten and you have great performance results, what you also have is a shopping list when you go to the grocery store. Because mm. you know, I need, to get, I need to get a new thing of oatmeal. I need to get some fresh blueberries. I need to get some honey because you've already tried it and you know that works for you. I got to have some extra large eggs and avocado, extra virgin olive oil, and some sea salt, because you know that works, because it's on your MyFitnessPal. And you go and you look at your heart rate data, you look at your lap times, and you're super pumped. Well, MyFitnessPal is pretty much just giving you your shopping list. You buy it, you have confidence on what and how much and when, which is what we're talking about in this part of the show. If you know when to eat it and you know what to eat, you put that helmet of confidence on, now you can go out and ride to your potential, you know, yeah. and I've used this example when you and I were together in studio, you could have a works 450. I could have a PW 50. If your 450 doesn't have fuel in it, my PW beat your works bike all day long. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, 
And I see this really frustrating people where they go and they spend all the money on the bike and the training and they do it right. And then they forget the last piece, eat yeah. something they've never eaten before or eat it too close to race time, or they don't understand the inverse relationship between food complexity and intensity. Not because we're picking on them. They just have never been taught that. That's why I love your show so much is you're trying to bring light to these frustrations that people run into. And if we can eliminate them hitting that buzz song, cutting themselves, man, it's been a good show. You know? Yeah, 100%. So next one, we've, we've, we've got the pre-race, um, say breakfast, snack down. Now we're getting into the race. This is another big question I always get asked and I guess a point of contention perhaps with some people is gels or powder mixed in your camelback. Um, I, I, I want to get your, firstly, your take on what you think um, is optimal. Um, yeah. And then I guess we need to talk about the strategy of the race because uh, something like a gel, obviously, you've obviously got to stop. You've got to get that in your mouth. Um, so in some races, like some off-road races, you may not have the opportunity to stop. Um, I know in America, they do two-hour hair scrambles. In Australia, the Clubman guys only do two hours. So they can actually, if they're running a big tank, they can go for two hours without having to pit. So in that instance, a gel, probably not going to really be a good option for them if they don't want to stop. So how, how do you sort of break that down? Well, just to clarify for the listeners, you need to understand that a gel, and I don't know of any of them that don't do this, but when you take an energy gel, just for somebody who doesn't know what it is, it's easily digestible carbohydrates that kind of has the consistency of cake batter. Some are a little bit more liquidy, some are a little thicker, but if just for a visual, you can get an idea. And when you squeeze that gel into your mouth, you're going to get anywhere between 180 and 210 calories. To your question though, Ben, what people forget is when you hit that gel, they are designed that you chase it with water. Because if you take a straight gel, mm. all you've done is just blown your insulin index straight to the roof and back. Because when you're, this is where I'll get to your answer about the powders. When you mix a powder, you're mixing to a certain carbohydrate concentration rate. So when you put the gel, now there's, again, there's a lot of assumptions here. When you look at the gel and you read it, it'll say, please consume X amount of ounces of water. Okay. So whatever that the, the mills are on that, you've got to be precise because if you drink less water than you're supposed to, the concentration's too high and you're going to get GI distress, gastrointestinal distress. You can yeah. get cramping. You could get other, you could feel nauseous. That's why like when you're on the starting gate to your point, hitting an energy gel right before the gun goes off and chasing it with water, it's perfect. You just topped off your glycogen reserves, no harm done. But during the race like that, you definitely want to go with the powder in the camelback. Now there's a couple things that I want you to keep in mind. Most of your listeners know I own my own supplement business. Most of you know I have my own sports drink. So when I talk about this, I'm sharing with you, which by the way, you can't buy my products in your country, so it's not a sales pitch. I want you to understand the food science behind it. When we mix a concentration, it's what we call a food formulation. The carbohydrate concentration rate, that's the percentage of carbohydrates that are in the drink from the beginning of your water bottle to the end, from the beginning of your camelback to the end, has to be in that six to 8% range. Now here's where it becomes dangerous. 
if you are using a powder, and this is one of my pet peeves with my product, when you mix it with water, it dissolves immediately. Because if you get a product that doesn't dissolve easily, all your solids are going to consolidate at the bottom. So you might have a 1% carbohydrate at the top of your Camelback and a 36% carbohydrate rate at the bottom because it all settled. You have syrup. Yeah. So I also, excuse me, I completely respect those that say, hey, look, to avoid that carbohydrate percentage fluctuation, just do a gel. It's easier. Well, you already brought up my rebuttal to that. What if you don't have a pit stop? Mm. I mean, I, we do a lot of triathlon detail here by the bikes here in the back and stuff like that. We don't have to try to squeeze a gel through a face mask of, of the helmets. Okay. So let's go where we have a higher statistical chance of success. You've got your, your tube, you've got your bite bulb. Now here's where I would encourage people. And some people are going to go, Rob, you are nuts, but it's true. When you bite that bulb, do you suck one time, two times, three times, five times? What you need to do is you need to, in your kitchen, bite it like you're in a race. Stay focused. Bite it, suck. Let's say you do it three times. You bite, you suck, you bite, you suck three times. That's your number. Well, when you bite and suck, spit that into a mixing cup. Bite it, stick it in a mixing cup. Bite it, stick it in a mixing cup. How many ounces are you getting? Because as you put your powder into your drink, it's yielding a certain amount of calories per drink. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're consuming, uh, what would be the conversion? If I said three ounces, what would be the conversion of that quickly? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what I do and did like when, when I was racing Hatter because okay. I, I, I ran it in my Camelback. Um, so I had to figure out how much I was drinking. So that's exactly what I did. I, I, would, I would have four big, four big sucks. Okay twice a lap it's a half an hour lap so i picked a point like halfway mm-hmm. there's a gate a gate you go through so every time i hit that gate you slow down so i'd have i'd have four mouthfuls and then when i get to the finish line i'd have four mouthfuls so i i measured i did exactly that and measured it um so it was, it was about 200 mil if i had like four massive sucks okay. so, so uh, your 200 mils gave you about how many calories per hit um Cum- not one by one, but the whole four hits. Well, I, yeah, I, I figured out that's how many sucks I had to have. The four hundred, four sucks got me two hundred mil. So if I did okay. that twice a lap, that's four hundred mil for a half hour, eight hundred mil per hour, and that okay. gave me, gave me about my three hundred calories an hour. And that's exactly where I wanted the listeners to understand. The reason why we're measuring the volume of fluid is determine how many calories are in there because your goal is to consume 300 per hour. That's why I don't want the listeners, if they're not watching us, if they're listening to us, if you're taking notes, your goal is to get 300 an hour. Because Ben, what you asked is, is it better to do a gel or do a powder? Well, they both serve completely different purposes, but then again, they really don't. What are we trying to do? Get to 300 calories an hour. Yeah. So how are you going to do that? Are you going to do it with a gel? Well, if you don't have a pit stop and that thing's flapping around, and then where are you going to get the water from? Now, again, I know some of you will use the Camelback that has just electrolyte powders and water. That's fine, but there's a danger. Please listen. If you're using a gel, a lot of the gel companies add electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium, that kind of stuff. Well, you don't want to overdose on a ton of electrolytes So now you're taking a gel that's got electrolytes. Then you take your water that's got an electrolyte powder. 
your sodium, your sodium potassium ratios could go off. It could create a real nightmare. I'm not saying you can't work. I'm saying you got to understand, and you and I have teased about this in two shows together. For some reason, in, in Australia, there seems to be this disconnect between electrolyte needs and calorie needs. You and I talked about in the performance workshop that we did together. A lot of people said, well, here's what I drink. And we looked at what it was. It was nothing but electrolytes and powder. There was no calories. It was a big epiphany for a lot of the, the racers at the camp that said, wait, I need calories. I thought I just needed electrolytes. Yeah. So if you are a listener hearing that and it's an epiphany for you, please don't be offended. You need 300 calories per hour. If you're going to be going off of a water bottle and you know what exact how much volume it is, well, you drink the whole thing and you go, okay, this is how many calories I got. That's the benefit of going to a gel. But I'm a bigger fan of the Camelbacks for a couple of reasons. One, semi-free, first of all, mix your Camelback. You gotta be very specific on, and please listen. When the instruction says four scoops to one mil, I don't, I don't know, or excuse me, say what, one liter? Would that be a, a right way to say it? Yep. Okay, so if it's two scoops to a liter, you need to know that the company that made it is trying to get you into that six to eight percent carbohydrate concentration mix. If you do too many scoops, you're not going to get the right absorption. You're going to have GI distress. So when you're talking about a two and a half liter camelback, you got to do the math to know how many scoops to put in so that it stays at that six to eight percent concentration rate. Now yeah. you need to know. You got to read, you got to be a, a student of the label. You need to read and understand how many calories per serving. And then you need to know when you suck in, how much are you getting to create a serving that gives you the calories? You go, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. <laughs> well, you're doing the same thing, trying to figure out your fuel efficiency on your motorcycle. It's just yep. a little bit more straight up and down. Because it's not like you're going to guzzle the whole camel back in one drink. Yeah. So it's not as precise and you can see where people undermine their own efforts by not getting enough calories or trying to digest too many calories, get a mm -hmm. GI backup. So what I like to do with the Camelback is mix it the way the instructions say, make sure it's dissolved really well and then put it in the freezer and freeze it. And then what I'll do is I'll take it out a half hour before the race. Well, now I'm using it to keep my core body temperature low. Now there's a risk. It's an ice block on your back. You wreck on that, you could really hurt yourself. But for the most part, I live in Florida. It's 35, 36 degrees, damn near year-round anymore. Okay, in 30, 40 minutes, that that's turning to ice. That ice is turning to water pretty damn quick. But now I have something that keeps my core body temperature low. Listen, cold fluids absorb more efficiently than warm fluids. Cold water does not create cramps like a lot of people think. So what you need to think about is if your camelback is ice cold and you're hitting it, you're absorbing it quicker, you're keeping your core body temperature low, and you're going to be more apt to drinking colder fluids than you will warm fluids in that last hour. Mm. So now you're off and running. The camelback has consistent calories, has consistent electrolytes. And I want the listeners to understand electrolytes have two purposes for the sake of our conversation. Electrolytes help you absorb the fluids. That's why you urinate more when you drink a sports drink. And it also helps with muscle contraction. This will help avoid your cramping in your calves when you're really going through rough sections and you're riding on your toes the way you're supposed to. So there's a multitude of benefits of making sure that you nail the sports drink all the way around. 
So that's kind of my strategy. The other thing to keep in mind is, is come up with a strategy on where you're going to put that tube. I had an athlete, um, a very high profile athlete in the GNCC world, and he had um, a camelback. He was late to the race. We had in previous races, we had cut a hole in the jersey, had it go through underneath the chest protector, and it actually sat right, and we had it rigged so that it sat right on his chin strap. So it was very easy for him not to be verb, you know, not to be rude. He could grab it with his tongue and pull it in, suck it, and release it. Never had to take his hands off the bars. He got late to the race. He was provided a new set of gear. He just let it flap. Two turns into the three-hour race, a tree limb caught it and ripped the whole hose out and drained his camelback. Yeah. And we're not even five minutes into a three-hour race. Yeah. Okay. You got to plan ahead and you got to think about it. It's not just about having it flapping around. It's how are you going to get it? Because like you said, you use that gate as a reference point. You don't need to be sitting there fourth gear wide open Mm -hmm. and then end up missing it, you know, and ripping that out and wrecking and then being dehydrated. Because think about it. I think some of your loops are very, very long. I think you mentioned 30 minutes. That's about what ours are sometimes. You're literally going to go 30 minutes before you can get any help again. Yeah. It's not a, it's not bad the first hour. You can at least yell to somebody. Maybe they can get you a backup plan for the second, third, fourth, and you know sixth loop. But for that first couple hours, if you don't have fluids, you're already undermining your potential to win the race or at least ride to your ability, all yeah. because you didn't plan ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's That's what hurts us. So that's yeah, what well, that's what I was going to say. That's if you are going to go the camelback route and, and rely on your fueling being in your camelback, that's the number one thing is you've got to remember to freaking drink it. Like I, I've seen yeah. so many people and look, I've probably been guilty of it myself in the past is there's no point having 900 calories worth of fuel in your camelback. <laughs> if you get to the end of the race and it's still half full, and you've only right. half of it like it's it's pointless so you've got to make sure you you actually hit it um yeah super important and while we are talking about the consumption of the fluid remember what we said at the beginning if you're snacking let's say you eat a good dinner and then you have a snack before bed and then you have breakfast and let's say that you uh let's say 8 a.m event so you have brekkie first thing in the morning or if you have a noon you hit it again at 10 you've got enough stored sugar to go at least one hour without having to start throwing down calories. And you go, Rob, why is that so important? Who cares? It's very important. Your stored sugar in your liver and your muscles, remember your liver feeds your brain, the muscles feed the movement. It is much easier for your body to convert stored sugar to energy than it is anything that you digest, even if it's a liquid or a gel. The easiest form of energy is what is already stored in the body to convert to active energy. So keep that in mind because we've had people that do everything by the book and then five minutes into the race, they start down in a bunch of calories and wonder why they end up with GI distress because you forgot you got to get through. Now I'm not saying you want to empty your gas tanks. You're just trying to avoid a, a, a gastrointestinal backup. So if you just would stick with me and say 60 minutes, I don't need any calories every 15 to 20 minutes after that, I'm going to hit about 75 to hundred calories. And I'm sorry for the listeners. What I mean by that is if we want 300 at the end of the hour, if you hit every 20 minutes, you want to make sure that you're getting that math backwards. So yeah. if you're doing it every 15 minutes, you want seven, you know, 300 divided by four. Yeah. 
you know, and you just keep doing it. So 75, 75, 75, 75, you've got 300. If you're going to go every 20 minutes, then go 100, 100, 100. I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence, but I've had people get confused with that. And I don't want to do that to your listeners. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know a lot of like Hatter's one of the biggest race, the big desert race here that um, it's a four hour, but it's for most people, it's a half hour lap. So if you've got a big tank, you do two laps. Um, so you're pitting every hour. So a common approach there is to use the gels and have, mm-hmm. they have two, like you'll hit two gels every hour in your pit stop. So a, again, two gels is around that, depending on the gels you get, it's around that sort of 270, 280, 300 calorie mark. Yep. Um, so it's, if you're going to go the powder, then you need to make sure you're getting, you're drinking your camel back um, enough to be getting the calories in per hour. All right. But there's a red flag here. I don't want the listeners to misunderstand. 300 calories is the total per hour. So if you're drinking a Camelback and then you try to choke down a gel, yeah, you could completely screw up the GI system. Because I've had people forget that the calories come from the, the gel. Calories are in your isotonic drink. You you Again, I'm not trying to insult the listeners, but I've, I've seen people really miss that point because they thought, oh, I thought it was one and the other no it's one or the other i don't want to sound take this the wrong way it's not an accident that the energy gels fall into that category of 110 to 120 calories why if you read the instructions it says take this gel every 15 to 20 minutes well if you do that twice an hour you're going to be close to the 300 so everybody listening to ben greenwood's 100 podcast is now a nutritionalist because you know the (laughs) trick behind the food scientist it's not really a trick. They're just doing the science for you. If you follow the instructions, they're designed to do what they're supposed to. If you screw with them, that's when you end up getting backed up. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's worth mentioning because people could think, Oh, if like it's that, I guess that thought process of a little bit's good, more is better. Um, so you think, Oh, I'll put an extra scoop in. I'll get some extra, some extra carbs or some extra energy, but it's going to buy some extra flavor. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be a little sweeter. And what you did was just threw the carbohydrate concentration off. You threw the calories off and then you're wondering why you're vomiting in your helmet. Again, I'm not trying to be vulgar at all. These are the frustrations that we've heard. Like, well, nobody explained that shit to me, you know? And they're like, ah, sorry. (laughs) So again, it just, like we've said it a few times already, but it just comes back to practicing it in training. Like when you go out for a big session on the bike, treat it like if you know the race is going to start at 11 have your breakfast two hours before or whatever it looks like whatever race day is going to look like for you try and replicate that in your training whether you're going to use the powder or the gels whatever you're going to do do it to the best of your ability in training so it's not a gamble on race day that's right and and don't forget your watch is getting your average and your max heart rate the watch is telling you the duration the watch is telling you temperature you step on the scale before you get geared up. You step on the scale after the race with no gear on. Now you know what your true perspiration rate is for that duration at that intensity in those conditions bounced against what you consumed calories and fluid wise. You now have a strategy for your next race, whether it's next year or whether it's in three weeks from now. This is where we continue to create customized nutrition programs per event based on conditions and intensity. Yeah. So like you say, training, that's another variable. But on race day, 
And I, I, I understand it. Sometimes you have a great day at the races and you're ecstatic and you have some days you have a shitty day and you just want to pack up and get out of there where you're missing the most valuable part of your frustration. Why did you have a crappy day? Why did you have GI, GI distress? What went wrong? And, you know, you're sitting there on race day. You're going to, you're, you'll, none of us are able to push ourselves in training the way we do on race day. Yeah. So there's your chance to weigh yourself, get your heart rate information, make sure that you capture all your data and then analyze it. Get with Ben, get with somebody that knows what they're doing and help them interpret the information. That's, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's probably no surprise to you, but we get hired all the time just to do nothing but crunch numbers. That's what we, that's part of our analytic services. You send me your, your heart rate information. You send me all this information. We sit down and have a consultation for an hour and interpret it. I, and again, I'm not trying to sell services. I want you to understand the data is of no value unless you know how to interpret the data you've gathered. Yeah. There you go. That's our job. Because I want you to enjoy racing. I like Hatter's already difficult enough as it is. Now you're sitting there running out of energy and you're having a heat stroke and you can't see straight. And you know, that is not the race to be doing that at. <laughs> you will get hurt. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. There's a like there's a small percentage of people, I think, like I've I've raced it and I've spectated at it. Um, and there's a small percentage of people that have actually prepared to complete it correctly. Do you know what I mean? Like a high majority of the field is a passenger but by yeah. the last and that's just truth like it is yeah. um, and a bit of that's physical preparation of course but i'm pretty sure a, a large component of it is their nutrition without a doubt well and you take it in that last part of the race and we talked about it earlier you're sitting here for two and a half three hours trying to process think about the depth perception you're picking up how fast something's coming at you at 67 kilometers an hour you're trying to move the distribution of the weight of the motorcycle. You're trying to worry and dodge other people, not to mention the track and its own obstacles. And your brain is just getting overworked and your liver is trying to fuel that gas tank. And eventually things just start to slow down because it just can't process it anymore. Who would have thought that your ability to keep hitting your marks on the track and to hold your pace, who would have thought that that would have been preceded with a good dinner, a good breakfast, good morning of, topping off with glycogen, hitting your camel back, and not missing 300 calories an hour, at least now you can go focus on racing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's very, very, you know, I find it enjoyable because once an athlete has that epiphany, they, they're more excited to go racing instead of fearing it because it's all the fear of the unknown. Well, you just have to document just a smidgen, nothing crazy, just have to document a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that nails the race nutrition pretty well. If we, okay. if we talk about post-race into the recovery yes. window, um, again, we spoke about it off air this morning, but in, a, in Australia, the majority of our state and national events are double headers. Okay. So um, like as an example, if, if, you've, if you're racing Hatter and you're not going to go and do another race for two months, then probably doesn't matter too much. Like you might be sore for a couple of days if you screw up your recovery nutrition, but if you've got to race a three hour and then come back at 8 a.m. the next morning and, and bang out 60 or 90 minutes worth of sprints, um, it's be, all of a sudden becomes pretty important what you're going to do after that race with your nutrition. 
hundred percent. And this is where I go back to what have you been doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you go out and you have a great writing day like you did on Wednesday and you wake up and notice that the dates here, listeners, please think about this. You wrote on Wednesday and had a great day. How sore were you on Wednesday? Excuse me, on Friday, not on Thursday, but on Friday. It's that rule of 48. We always look at the muscle soreness two days after you do something. Now, when you call me and you're like, man, you know what? I had a great day on the bike, but I really wasn't sore on Friday. What in the hell did you do? Because if you hit the carbohydrates and you hit the protein, awesome. You're taking advantage of what's called a glycogen synthase enzyme. When you're out there and you're working out super, super hard, there's an enzyme that gets activated in the muscle tissue. It creates a sponge effect. So if you hit that 20 to, you know, 15 to 20 minutes right after your workout, you've already started to facilitate the recovery process from the inside out. So you come to me on Friday and you're like, I'm not really sore. Well, what you ate, how much and when, significant role. Foam rolling, contrast therapy, massage therapy, a two-hour nap, nine hours of sleep on Wednesday night, nine hours of sleep on Thursday night. That is why you feel good on thir- on Friday. Remember what I said, when things go wrong, people will, will microanalyze it to the nth degree. Things go right, they go, hey, I'm a stud, this is great, this is no problem. And then they have a different result on race day and go, how can I be a great trainer and a lousy racer? Because you deviated from what you know works. But if you don't document what works, it's hard to duplicate it on race day. So that to me is what I, I said this to some young racers today. One of them said, I don't think I should think about this. The comment was, I don't think I need to foam roll anymore because nothing hurts. (laughs) And I tried to explain to him the reason why it doesn't hurt is because you've been consistently foam rolling. But if you wait until you're tight and then you foam roll, then you're untying a knot that could have been avoided by never letting it develop in the first place. Everything's got to be proactive. And I I, I use that example for all the listeners. If you want to, you do a morning workout. And let's just say you're fortunate enough that you can work out in the morning and the evenings. To make the evening workout better, you have to hit your recovery calories after the morning workout. Yeah. Let's say you're only fortunate enough to work out one time a day. Well, if you're a good type of person that works out in the morning, what you eat for dinner sets the stage for what you do tomorrow morning, even if it's a 5 a.m. wake-up call. Yeah. If you're going to work out in the evening, the food that you eat all day at work is going to set the tone for your evening workout. And then when you're done with the evening workout, hitting your recovery calories is going to set you up for the following day. Yeah. Which is the is which is example of if you're going to race on Saturday and you got to come back on Sunday, your recovery habits need to be identified. Yeah. There is nothing worse than waking up feeling completely pulverized for day 2. Yeah. Now we, we you and I are not naive. We realize sometimes you can heat you can do all the food, you can hit the recovery calories, do foam rolling, get a massage, and still feel like death warmed over on Sunday. We get that. Yeah. We're just trying to avoid it the best we can. And yeah. it just starts with nutrition. Like I said, that 15 to 20 minutes. And this is where it's very dangerous. You've had a really good race and you're excited. The last thing you're thinking about is recovery calories. You have a crappy race, you're pissed off. Last thing you're worried about is recovery calories. But you still want to come back in 12 hours and race again. And then now you have a bad Sunday because you're pissed off about Saturday. You see how you just, it's so easy to get going and forget about it. 
But yeah. if you think about your mechanic was too excited to, uh, you know, he, he or she was so excited they forgot to refuel your bike for Sunday and you wonder why Saturday was great and Sunday was off the mark. Well, because your mechanic was either didn't want to do it or just forgot about it. Yeah. That's how you got to look at your own nutrition. You can't be too busy and you can't forget about it. Yeah. That's all. That's all it is. So like that 15, that 20 minute window or 30 minute window that we're talking about, that we best off to hit sort of some liquid calories in that, in that window, something that's like super easy to digest quick. And then we, if we do that, then like within sort of say 90 to two hours, if we get a solid meal in, we're going to be pretty like pretty in the ballpark. Yeah. You hit the ball right out of the park actually. The challenge you run into is, remember what we said earlier, there's three things that suppress appetite, heat, intensity, and stress. Well, when you're in a race environment, you've got all three beating your appetite down. So what we like to do is have the calories easily digestible. It could be chocolate milk. It could be a whey protein. Um, you know, Again, we don't live in a glass house. The idea here is find calories that sound and taste good because you need to take advantage of that recovery window. And even in two hours, this is that magical number again, when you've trained yourself, when you've trained yourself to eat when you're not hungry, then when you're not hungry after the race, you still taught yourself to eat when you're not hungry. And so what that does is it, it creates kind of a, a mental mindset with your body that you're not forcing yourself to eat. You're, you're giving your body what you know it needs, even though your body says, I don't need it. If you go back to what you said earlier, when someone says, well, I'm busy at work and I don't want to eat, I don't feel hungry. That's exactly when you should eat. So the idea here is what we want is everything is pre-programmed, but more importantly, you have an understanding as to why it's important. If you're replenishing depleted sugars, you'll eat immediately afterwards. You're not hungry, but you're going to do it. Eating that square meal two hours later, even though you're not hungry, you're going to do it. That's what we were saying. And I understand. I have a son that has texture issues. I understand sometimes you ask him to eat, he's going to regurgitate it. I'm not trying to be naive. I don't live in a glass house. If meaning you're going to try to eat two hours later and you know you're going to regurgitate, don't eat. You're just wasting money. You're going to throw it back up. Stop. Okay. Try to, try to train yourself to the best of your ability. What we're just saying is this is the ideal thing to do. Now you have to make it fit in the real world. Remember, these are just textbooks. These are suggestions. These are frameworks. These are not the gospel. Okay. We use it as a framework, but we need it to be very specific to what works for you. How do we know if it works? Test it, evaluate it. And I hope people, whether you're watching us live or you're listening to us on, on the radio, I want you to keep in mind the consistency of the two-hour block. You understand why, you see the benefits, train it, train it, train it, and then on race day, it just becomes autopilot. Yeah. That's, I don't want that to sound condescending at all. I really mean that. Nutrition doesn't need... Now, if you want to get into, are there certain items that help support adrenal fatigue? Yes, we could do a whole show on it. Do we want to do a show on how to build lean muscle mass, eating more protein. Is, it, is there a good and a, a bad way to do it? We could do a whole show on it. But nutrition as a whole, walk into the perimeter of the store, shop and get your beer and get out, eat every two hours, and you have nutrition dialed. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. 
you're right, it is. And, and like you touched on before, I perhaps have some form of just tracking what you're... And that's not saying you have to do that every single time you eat, but um, you, you like we said, like you pretty quickly, you've really only got to do that for one or two days and you pretty quickly work out whether you're in the ballpark or not. So, Well, we just want the listeners to understand that if you want us to help you, we need to have something to look at, whether it's two days, two months, two years, the more yeah. info, the easier it is for us to create a portfolio of options but it's not as labor intensive thanks to the, the new technological advances. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So that, that's just, I thought it was important to just touch on that, like the timing thing there. Cause like if we've had our heart rate at 180 for three hours, then having something that is high in sugar is actually like a good thing. Really? Like it's, if we, if we talk about, Obviously, we're not advocating sitting down and, and smashing bowls of ice cream for, <laughs> for every meal, but there's a time and a place. And, and when, we've, when we've depleted our glycogen, then if, if you do want to enjoy something that's a, perhaps a bit of a treat, well, that's your window of opportunity. Like, that's when your body's going to suck it up like a sponge, like you said. Well, when I, when I, I for some of the new listeners may not know this, I was on the a development program for the sport of triathlon trying to get into this, to the Olympics. And I was in Colorado Springs and I remember there was a German cycling coach that was there. And the way that he explained it is when you're done at a high level of intensity, your body just wants sugar. He said, you can call it whatever fancy name you want. You can paint it, you can color it, you can box it, you can package it. He goes, the body just wants sugar. And, and what made me think about that is, I don't know if you've ever listened or watched any of the documentaries with Lance Armstrong. And he said, Dr. Ferrari said one thing, the only thing that matters is red blood cell count. And I just always put those two together. Sleep helps produce testosterone, which increases red blood cell count, which means more oxygen. And sugar after an intense, your body just needs sugar. Okay, look at Jet Lawrence. He's out there eating, you know, a donut. So people are like, that's the stupidest thing. Well, if you think about what the German coach said, the body just needs sugar. Am I advocating donuts? But no, no, I'm not. But do I eat donuts? Oh, yeah, I can tear up some mean donuts. Uh, they're not a staple for me, but I don't live in a glass house, you know? 100%, yeah. Comes back to that 80-20 thing. Absolutely. We, you know, and I know there's some people that are like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's irresponsible. No, I can tell you that I eat relatively clean, but I don't sit there and act like I do so everybody else should, I'm recognizing that some people don't and that's okay. Consistency is far more important than just absolutes. Yeah, sure. We could do a whole show on just that whole mindset. So I want the listeners to have fun. I say to my riders all the time, I expect you to eat birthday cake on your birthday, Christmas (laughs) cookies at Christmas time, you know, because you're only going to get that holiday once a year. And if you blow it, why do that? I mean, you've got two beautiful young boys, you know, you're going to have a piece of birthday cake with it on their birthday. Yeah. Especially if Bond makes the cake, you're, you're going to eat the cake, but you know, Bond's put, it's all, it's real egg. It's real flour. It's, you know, half of it's come from your own farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to kill you when it's made from real food. Yeah. So we could do a whole show on just the power of real food. Well, I, th- I think it's important because in all honesty, like when I first started down the route of nutrition, like I went back to that hardcore side of, of sure. not, and that 
was detrimental. Like it, it actually put more stress. Uh, like in, in a lot of ways, it, it, it took some stress away in terms of the food quality, but sure. in terms of me being so narcissistic about it, it, it was, um, it was actually putting more stress into, into my life in a lot of ways. So I kind of had to learn that one the hard way too. And now I've sort of come back to, again, that comes back to experience and, but also a little bit of, um, I guess I don't, I don't want to use the word discipline because I don't like that. I guess it yeah. sounds like it's, um, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's something that you don't enjoy, but it's just, it's knowing that there is a time and a place. And if that, if you, if your foundation and the 80% is in good quality food, then yeah, if you want to have a pizza after you spend a day on the bike or you want to have a piece of cake at your kid's birthday or a donut, like it's, it's not going to rock the boat. Well, I'll self-confess here. I was like you. I was very absolute. I went on a no-fat, low-fat diet, high-intensity training. I just thought if I didn't, if I wasn't that absolute, then I was not committed to being the best I could possibly be. Mm. And here I am. I'm trying to get make the Olympic team for the sport of triathlon. So you're everybody's fighting for those three spots. You know what I mean? Because you have three people on the team and two alternates. My point is this: literally, one morning my alarm went off something I now vehemently disagree with, but at the time I was working, I was in school and I was training and I was literally training three times a day. Okay. My alarm went off and I took that alarm and I shoved it through the drywall that went through two walls. And it was like a bad movie scene. I was living in a one bedroom apartment. I pull my hand out of the two walls because it went through my wall in my bedroom and through my living room. I pulled the, the alarm clock off. I laid down on my bed and I looked up at my paddle fan and I just said to myself, this can't be healthy. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate because a month later I got selected to go out to Colorado Springs and do some baseline testing. And that's when they taught me that I was doing it absolutely wrong. Mm. They advocated a high fat, high protein, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of fluid, lots of sleep. Does yeah. it sound familiar to any of you that have been following me on my podcast for 20 years? Yeah. You know, the idea is I'm only sharing with you what I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. I was like, you. I was very adamant. If you're not doing it this way, you're a loser. I'm talking to myself. I'm calling myself a loser. Second place is first loser. Damn it. You're going to do it right. Yeah. And then I go to the, some of the best people in the business and remember what the Olympic training center told me. I've shared this with you before. They said, the only thing we're in the business of doing is producing champions. You can either believe it and do what we say, or we'll replace you with somebody who will. And I mean, that really got my attention because I thought they're not telling me to do something because they're trying to promote a product or something. Mm-hmm. They're trying to show you the best you, the things that you need to do to get the best out of you. Yeah. And I just, I, at that point, I put my tail in between my legs, put my cute peacock feathers down <laughs> and I started listening. And what was cool is I added fat, added more sleep, and I went from 6% body fat down to four. And my goal was always to be under 5% body fat. And I did it by eating more fats and proteins. So you don't think that that was a mental epiphany for me? Mm-hmm. For the last seven years, I've been starving myself, not sleeping much, because I got to train. I don't need to sleep. Sleep's for when you die, right? Yeah. I, I got to go. And these guys are like, no, grasshopper, you're doing this all backwards. <laughs> you know, and then how do you argue with them when this guy's got seven gold medals and this guy's got 
this Olympic team and this guy's got four world championships, swimming, cycling, and running. We had strength and conditioning coaches, flexibility coaches, massage therapists, nutritionalists. Everybody's telling you what to do. And they're telling me, you're doing it all wrong. First, I'm like, don't tell me I'm doing something wrong. I'll throat punch you. You know, that, that's just our, we're champions, right? We know what we're doing. Yeah. Nah. And that's why I love the opportunity to be able to give this information forward because, man, it was a, it was a life changer for me. I mean, it literally was a life changer. And I'll never forget that moment of laying and looking at that paddle fan thinking, forget this. I didn't use that word, but I had something else to say. I'm just like, this is wrong. And I still wanted to finish what I had started, but I was about to tap out. I was done with this. This couldn't be right. So I hope that resonates with some of the listeners when we say not being so hellfire and brimstone. That's why that's, that's our journey. So hope this helped all the listeners. And as always, man, I always appreciate the show. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd like to say a big thank you, brother. That was a, I think we hit the nail on the head there in a lot of areas. So I'm sure people will get some great takeaways from it. So thank you again for sharing all that. Awesome. Thanks so much. You guys be safe over there. All right. Cheers, man. Take care, bud.